Greetings, Cross Point Church and friends of Cross Point. This is a, a different kind of January. I think we all recognize the mild uh, weather, not typical of the minus 20 to minus 30 days that we're, we're used to. And then the whole northern part of the province, these last 24 hours, got this beautiful blanket of snow, and we end up with rain. That can't be good. Anyway, I'm one of the few, I guess, that would prefer the snow. Before we go to the message this morning, and this is the next sermon in the series, It's an Upside-Down World, Sermons from the Sermon on the Mount, I want to take just a moment or two to pray for our neighbor to the south. And of course, I'm speaking of the United States. And when I say our neighbor to the south, the neighboring country, for so many of us, it's so much more than that. Uh, and I think this is true for a lot of us here. Perhaps uh, I have a daughter that was American-born. Uh, my older brother Fred married an American girl from the Boston area. Two of the pastoral staff here at uh, Cross Point are Americans. And I think we're all aware, if you've been tuning in to some of the news of late, you're aware of all the turmoil that's taking place down there with uh, a new president being inaugurated this uh, Wednesday. And there's some concern about uh, danger of violence and uh, hearing on the news as I traveled uh, to church this morning, speaking of 25,000 National Guardsmen have been called into the capital to make sure the city is secure. Uh, to say the least, some are, uh, many believe it's a volatile situation. And so I think I'm asking you to join me today in this prayer. And over this, these next days, I'm calling all of you, Cross Point Church and friends of Cross Point, to join me in prayer about this matter. Father, we pray for the situation and the circumstances in the South, in the United States these next day. I pray that, that cooler heads would prevail. I pray that the voices of people of faith would step forth and speak up and would be heard. I pray for the leaders of that country that they would they would turn to you the only ultimate source of wisdom. And so, Father, I pray for peace in these days of turmoil. I pray that your hand would be upon this situation and that in a few days hence we'll look back and say, the Father really heard our prayer in this matter. This we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Back in my teenage days, the last day of youth camp was always track and field day. And every event was open to every camper back then, but, but some chose to be spectators. Well, along with a couple of dozen of the other boys, I decided to participate. Now, I 
was really no athlete, although I did have athlete's foot a couple of times. One of the uh, events was the high jump. And so when they began the event, they would set, that, set the bar at about two feet. And we would all line up and the, all the participants in the high jump would approach the bar. And most of us had little problem jumping it at two feet. And of course, then they raised the bar. As the, as the bar approached three feet, some didn't make it. I guess I recall that I was one of the early ones to join the spectators. I'm not so sure why that was so, but it seems that gravity has always had a very strong attraction for me. Well, so my friends and I then watched as they kept raising the bar higher and higher, and more of the jumpers didn't go higher and higher until the bar stood at almost six feet, and only Larry and David were left. And, and those of us that were spectators, we sat there and said things like, well, this is unbelievable. Uh, no one can jump this high. No one can do this. And I believe that our response way back there on that field day was similar to the response of many of Jesus' listeners that day as Jesus raised the bar, as, as Jesus raised new standards for how you and I are to relate to one another. Jesus on that day said, you've always heard an eye for an eye, but I say to you, don't resist an evil person. He went on to say, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, then let him slap your other one too. I can imagine on that day, his listeners probably said things like, huh? What did he say? This is unbelievable. He can't, he can't be serious. Jesus went on, if, if someone takes your t-shirt, give him your jacket as well. And I imagine some of his listeners would said things like, is he kidding? No one can do this. Jesus says, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him another mile. And someone said, oh, come on. Jesus said, give to those who ask from you. Love your enemies. Be perfect. And the spectators said, impossible. No one can jump this high. I'm out. Now, back there in my youth camp days, uh, when they raised the bar, they had a goal in mind. They kept their plan was to keep raising the bar until everyone except one, uh, every except, everyone except one is eliminated, and he would be the winner, the only one to clear the bar. But you know what they did after Larry won the event? They kept raising the bar until even Larry couldn't clear it. And eventually, eventually the bar was too high for everyone. Do you know that there are some that think that this bar that Jesus set in Matthew chapter 5, that's just exactly what he did. He set it so high that no one could possibly do it. 
not even the spiritual Larry's among us. But Jesus raised the bar. And he says, he says, if, if you claim to be my disciples, I want you to live this out in your relationships every day. Well, let's read the whole passage now. Matthew 5 and verse 38, and I'm reading. You have heard that the law of Moses said, if an eye is injured, injure the eye of the person who did it. If a tooth gets knocked out, knock out the tooth of the person who did it. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If you're slapped on the right cheek, turn the other too. If you are ordered to court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust too. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Wow, that's a very high standard, don't you think? It was Mark Twain who once said this about the Bible. I have no problem with those parts of the Bible I don't understand. It's the parts of the Bible I do understand that give me fits. This scripture this morning may give you and I fits. So let's look a little closer now at the four relational high bars that Jesus sets before us. Here's the first. Jesus says, do you have retaliation in mind? Don't do it. And to take you back to verse 38 that we just read. You have heard that the law of Moses says, if an eye is injured, injure the eye of the person who did it. If a tooth gets knocked out, knock out the tooth of the person who did it. Now, that pretty much described the justice system of Jesus' day. Judges did their best to try to make the punishment fit the crime. In other words, if, if a man were to steal a loaf of bread, you make the punishment fit the crime. You don't cut off his hand. And when you think of this verse in this context, that's not a bad system for a justice system. But people were taking this good principle of court justice and applying it in their relationships with their friends and neighbors and loved ones in every little conflict and using it as a justification for getting even. Jesus says, no, no, don't do that. 
Verse 39, but I say, don't resist an evil person. If you are slapped on the right cheek, turn the other too. Now, there are four different ways to react in human relationships. I suppose the first would be this. If someone does good to you and you come back with evil on them, that would be devil-like, bad. Number two, if someone does evil to you and you in turn do evil to them, that would be beast-like. They stick it to me, I'll stick it to them. Number three, if someone got, does good to you and you return good to them, that's man-like. But listen, number four, when someone does evil to you and you return good, that's God-like. Think for a minute, which of the four do you think rules in our world today? If you had that list before you, you prob most of us would say, well, evil for evil. They stick it to me, I'll stick it to them. At our best, sometimes, we return good for good. After 17 years of marriage, a man left his wife for a younger woman. The downtown luxury apartment was in his name, and he wanted to remain there with his new love, so he asked his wife to move out, and uh, assuring her that he would buy her another place. She agreed, but asked that she be given a few days there before she left, just to be there on her own. On that last day that she was there, she sat down, one last time at their candlelit dining table, soft music playing in the background and feasted on a pound of shrimp. When she had finished, she went into each room and deposited a few of the resulting shrimp shells into the hollow of the curtain rods. Then she cleaned up the kitchen and left the apartment. The husband came back with his new girl and all was bliss for the first few days. Then it started slowly but surely. Clueless, the man couldn't explain why the place smelled so bad. And, and they tried everything. They, they cleaned, they mopped, they aired the place out. They, the vents were checked for dead rodents and the carpets were steam cleaned and air fresheners were hung everywhere. Exterminators were brought in. The carpets were even replaced. And on and on it went. And finally, they could take it no longer, and they decided to move. The moving company arrived and did a very professional packing job, taking everything to their new home, including the curtain rods. Why is it that you and I like that story? Is there something in every one of us that likes it when people get what they deserve? Jesus is saying here, do you have retaliation in mind? Don't do it. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years, whenever I've got into a discussion of these verses, someone always wants to focus in on this and say, now, now does uh, Pastor John, does that, does that uh, turn the other cheek line, uh, does that literally mean if someone comes up and whacks me on this cheek, I ought to let them take another whack at my other cheek? Well, I would suggest to you that this scripture goes much deeper than that. 
If someone, did you notice that it said, if someone strikes you on the right cheek. Now, if you're standing facing someone and you're right-handed, to strike them on the right cheek, you would need to use the back of your hand. And back in that day, in that culture, to strike someone with the back of your hand was much more of a serious insult than striking them with the open, the face of your hand, and the insult was worse than the blow. Hear me today. Verbal insults are worse than blows, you know. That childhood skirmish when that bully shoved me, hit me, then used a word that suggested that my mother was an immoral person. The blow was soon forgotten, but the insult went deep. You've heard the old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. What nonsense that is. Words can't hurt. Insults cut deep. Jesus said, if you want to retaliate, don't do it. But now I want, you, I want you to take you, Jesus raises the bar even further when he says, not only must you not retaliate, now often we cannot retaliate, we can do that on our own strengths, but Jesus goes further and says, do you resent the insult? I want you to just let it go. When Jesus says, If you are slapped on the right cheek, turn the other two. He's talking about more here than just right actions. He's talking about right attitudes. You see, retaliation is an action. Resentment is an attitude. And it's so true that we can win the retaliation battle. That's turning the other cheek. But lose the resentment battle. Understand what I mean? They often shouted at Jesus from the edge of the crowd. They said things to him like, you glutton, you wine-bibber, you drunk, you hang out with prostitutes, you, you, you scumbag, you. And he walked on. Do you think that as Jesus walked on, he was just seething with resentment? You think? Holding on to his raging emotions, with his blood pressure rising, red face, teeth clenched, I would suggest to you, no. There's an old song about Jesus hanging on the cross. The lyrics go like this. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free, but he died alone for you and me. Hanging there in unimaginable agony and pain And he prays, he prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Incredible. You see it? No retaliation, no resentment. Amazing. You see, the truth is sometimes we can put a lid on retaliation because that's an outward thing. But resentment To let it go, that's raising the bar further. That's a different matter. That's an inward thing. The truth is resentment can be hidden for a time. But if you don't let that resentment go, it will break out on you. I love the story of Clara Barton. 
She was the founder of the Red Cross, who was said, it was said about her that she never held a grudge. What a wonderful thing to have said about you. One day she encountered someone who had done her wrong in years past, and the friend who was with her said, said to her of that slight, Clara, don't you remember? No, Miss Barton replied without hesitation, I distinctly remember forgetting that. She let it go. This resentment thing, you know, it's like an infection. It, that resentment can be in your system for days, months, years, making you spiritually weak, making you anemic, making you listless. It'll rob you of your joy. Jesus says, incredible as it sounds, re, are you inclined to hold resentments? Let it go. But then Jesus raises the bar even further. Here's the third place where he set the bar. He says, do you have rights to claim? Just forget it. If you're, and I take you to verse 40, if you're ordered to court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, uh, that doesn't, that made real sense to a first century audience. You see, the shirt was an inner garment, like a t-shirt today. And even, even a poor man in that culture would have several, but a coat was the outer garment, and every man would have only one. It was a coat by day and a blanket by night. Every man needed one. It was his right. Jesus is saying, I want you to think less of your rights. I want you to think less of your needs and think of your responsibility to others. And then he uses another this made great sense to them in century one. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. Give to those who ask. Don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Now, in this day, Israel was an occupied country. The Romans ruled, and, and, and someone in government, that government service, now that could be a soldier, could make demands of any citizen they could make a demand to supply food, to provide transportation, or to carry a cargo, as in this case. And, and whoever this government person spoke to, government service spoke to, must comply. You recall the story of Simon of Cyrene when Jesus was on his way carrying his own cross to uh, Calvary. And he stumbled, and a soldier spoke to Simon and said, carry the cross. He had to do that. You see, it was law. You were duty-bound to carry a burden alone, a load, one mile, but only one mile. And then you could put it down. That's all you had to do, one mile. Jesus is saying, don't go one mile with bitterness. Go two with cheerfulness. A whole new standard. Jesus is saying to you and to me, don't fall into the habit ever of doing the irreducible minimum. Jesus is saying to all of us today, if you, if you claim my name, you will never be an inefficient worker. If you claim my name, you won't be a resentful employee. You won't be a reluctant volunteer. You won't be a lazy student. Jesus is saying, never mind insisting on your rights. Be concerned about your responsibilities. Ask not 
what your church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. Jesus is saying here, never mind your rights. Bill Walton learned that to play college basketball for Coach John Wooden meant you had to give up some of your rights. Coach Wooden, this is a long time ago, had a rule against facial hair. If you played for him, no facial hair was allowed. Well, after a 10-day break from school, Bill Walton came to practice wearing a beard. Coach Wooden walked up to him and said, Bill, haven't you forgotten something? Walton replied, Coach, if you mean the beard, I think I should be allowed to wear it. It's my right. Well, uh, Wooden looked at him and said, Bill, I have... I have great respect for individuals who stand up for the things in which they believe. I really do. If you believe that is your right, I would die for your right to defend that right. Bill Walton said, thank you, coach. Then Wooden said, I just want you to know the team's really going to miss you. Do you have rights to claim, Jesus is saying? Do you have rights to claim? Just forget it. Now, if all that Jesus has said to this point doesn't have the crowd buzzing and grumbling and murmuring and saying, how impossible is all of this? Jesus raises the bar then one more time, even further, and here's what he says. Do you have relationships that are problematic? Just love them. Jesus is saying, you got people in your life, and who doesn't? People in your life that kind of hard to love? Jesus said, just love them anyway. I take you back to the word we read. You have heard that the law of Moses says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If you love only those who love you, what good is that? You are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now hear me. This, what, what we're right on here is the central, most famous section of the Sermon on the Mount. The most concentrated expression of Christianity in action is right here. Jesus is saying, people who treat you, people who treat you badly, be a heart specialist and love them. Now, the Greek word for love is agape. The, the Greeks have a better language I think than we do in some ways we have one word love which fits one size fits all we love pizza we love a beautiful sunset we love our kids we love God one word love but the Greeks had different words for love one was for family love storge one was for the love of man for a maid eros erotic another was for friendship philea Philadelphia city of brotherly love. And then the highest love was agape. Here, the definition of agape love. An unconquerable benevolence, a determination of the mind to seek nothing but their highest good. It's not a feeling. It's not just a feeling. It's not a fond of love, not a feeling. A determination of the mind to seek nothing but their highest good. And Jesus is saying, and he's right, you can love like that. You can love a person who sticks it to you like that. Yes, you can. It's a powerful love. Missionary, pastor, author E. Stanley Jones talks about agape love. Here's what he says about it. I love what Jones writes. I read him about every day. 
He says there are two courses to take to get rid of a block of ice. One is to try to smash it with a hammer, in which case you only succeed in scattering it, not destroying it. And the other is to melt it, in which case you really do get rid of it. Hear this. The Christian doesn't smash situations and people. He melts them. Jesus on the cross is God not smashing his enemies, but melting them. Isn't that good? So Jesus is saying, do you have relations in your life that are problematic? Just love them. And when you love like that, you realize the purpose for which you were created and you are teleos, you are perfect. That is the sense in which the word is used in verse 48. When you are perfect, you're loving like God loves. Love like that. And in that way, people will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. There is a rabbinic tale which tells of the destruction of the of the Egyptians in the Red Sea. You remember the story, Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, got to the Red Sea, and he puts his rod in the sea and the waters part, and the children of Israel go through and dry land, and the Egyptians try to follow, and they're drowned in the sea. And as this tale runs, when the waters covered over the Egyptian armies, the angels began a chant of praise but God said sorrowfully the work of my hands are sunk in the sea and you would sing before me the love of God is such hear these words the love of God is such that he can never take pleasure in the destruction of any of the creatures whom his hands have made you see it? In God, there is this universal benevolence even towards those who have broken his law and broken his heart. And Jesus says, I want you to love like that. So let me ask you today, is the bar too high? Is this is what I've taught you this day? Is this only possible for the spiritual Larry's among us and the truth is this here's the truth here no one can even begin to live according to the principles in this scripture without the help of Jesus Christ without constant submission to the indwelling Holy Spirit that's the only way ever Look at this last quote. It's going to appear on the screen. A.W. Tozer said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. We used to sing years ago a chorus, let your love flow through me. Let your love throw, flow through through me. Make me a blessing, Lord, wherever I may be. Make me pure. Make me clean so that you can be seen. Let your love 
flow through me. That's my prayer. Is that your prayer? Father, thank you for your word. And certainly, Scripture, when it talks about the words of Scripture, can cut to the quick, piercing the very heart. These words of yours certainly do that to us today. Father, let us not throw up our hands and say, oh my, too high, can't do it, impossible. But Father, let us throw up our hands to you and take your hand. And you assure us that if we allow you to live and love through us, we can love like this. Help us to do that. We offer ourselves to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.